morning. This on, yeah, you got it. Nisi, Jessica, thank you for sharing your talents for the glory of God. Um, come uh, first off this morning, those who are visiting, um, let you know I'm not the pastor, uh, so you won't be discouraged not to return. But um, we welcome everyone here this morning. Um, you know, December 31st, 2017, it's um, 2017 is about gone. And um, I was just listening this morning to some of um, what we've been saying about we think about um, the past. We think about the future. Um, today, I am going to be talking more about the present um, and maybe the in which the present will in, certainly influence the future. But our, our presence um, you know, this particular day, you know, there's a lot of celebrations. I got to looking around and, and um, seeing what type of celebrations there are going on. The one most notable is in um, Times Square. Um, tonight they will drop the ball at um, the building called One Times Square Building. And it's interesting, this started in 1907. And there's usually in attendance at least 90,000. In that little area. Just a little information about this ball. This is interesting. This ball weighs 11,875 pounds. And it's 12 foot in diameter. And it actually is going to be dropped from the... It's called a Waterford, Waterford crystal ball. Okay. Anything. But anyway, that's, that's New York. Atlanta. I didn't realize this, but Atlanta has what they call the peach drop where they drop a, a peach. You know, Georgia is the peach state, so they drop the peach. But even more interesting than that is, uh, not to be outdone, is Brasstown, North Carolina, where they actually drop or lower a live possum. <laughs> you animal rights advocates out there, the possum is in an enclosed glass case, but they drop a live possum. Before we get to our um, scriptures today, as you, if you've noticed in the um, bulletin, um, I'm coming from Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. But in order to, um, I guess, break the ice or kickstart us today, I, I wanted to start off with... Um, Chapter 4, verse 7 of Second Timothy. Let me read it. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And, and, and in this, we have what, what we could call that, that, that Paul is, is passing the baton on to Timothy. Um, we'll see in a few minutes what's going on in Paul's life in this particular time. But he's, he's, he's like Elijah did to Elisha, that passing that mantle on. And, and the charge from Paul is this, um, to put it in, maybe in layman terms. Paul is saying this. He says, I have done the work of my day and my generation. Now you likewise, you do the work of your day and your generation. 
So the question for us today, this, this present question that we have for us today, for me and for you, is, um, you know, and, and Paul calls it a, uh, the good fight. And basically that good fight is, and I wrote this down, it says, this good fight is the fight of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. That's the good fight. The fight of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and salvation of souls. So the question for us, let me back up. Have I, have, have I been fully involved in the struggle for the cause of Christ? Have I been fully involved in the struggle for the cause of Christ? And what that means is, am I living for the purpose of building up the body of Christ and extending his kingdom through my labors, my time, my money, in accordance to the gifts and opportunities that God has given me? I want us, I want, I want myself, I want us to be able to say one day ourselves, that fateful day when it comes that I, I have fought the good fight. I have, for the cause of Christ, I have fought the good fight. I have, I have finished the course. I haven't dropped out of the race. And I have kept the faith. I have, with all of my being, Guarded the truth of Christ. Let's look at our scriptures this morning. Starting in verse 9. Paul writes, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposes our teaching. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anasporus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, and also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let me, um, let me set the occasion um, in the life of Paul at this particular moment. Um, certainly, as we are all aware of, Paul is the um, author of a lot of the books of the New Testament. I think there's... 27, I think he wrote 14 of them. Um, and so, 2 Timothy is actually Paul's last writing that he would ever write. This is it. And he writes to Timothy, um, whom he calls my true son or my beloved son. 
And while Paul is writing this, he's sitting in a um, prison cell in Rome. He is a prisoner there in a cold Roman dungeon awaiting his second trial before Nero and impending death. In a few days or weeks, I don't know exactly sure, but he will be beheaded. You know, scholars describe this prison as nothing more than a hole or an opening in the floor where prisoners were lowered down into a lower dungeon. And there they sat. Kind of limited visitors, did it not? So there we find this man of God um, in a cold, dark prison cell for no other reason than for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, and, and, and as, as Paul closes out his writing, um, as we read through this, people are on his mind. He's not so concerned about himself, but other people. And he's concerned about the ministry. And we'll see that. So, you know, he's concerned about these people who shared his ministry, people who were crucial and vital and also essential to the proclamation of the gospel. And so, you know, we are reminded then that, you know, by these particular passages that we have before us today, that, you know, none of us can minister to Christ alone. You know, we need each other. You know, the better dependent we are on each other, the better we will understand how critical it is for us to work together alongside with each other. Therefore, making us a church that is effective in the Lord's service. You know, you can um, blame Jeff Liverman for the um, inspiration of this message. Um, it's kind of uh, interesting, I guess you could say, how it came about. A year and a half ago, June 2016, Jeff called me um, and said, asked me to give it a devotion for a group of um, believers down from Pennsylvania, and I, um, I agreed to do that. A little 10-minute devotion, um, that was it. I thought that was, that was done, um, but evidently it wasn't. And so um, here we have today before us these scriptures again. Um, now, and I'll, I'll tell you, these scriptures can be easily overlooked. Um, even as I was you know, seeking God for, for a message this this message came back. Evidently, it was stored there in my memory, and, and it came back. Actually, I still had the old notes that I kept. And, um, and so here we are today um, with these scriptures again for us. And it will take longer than 10 minutes, I will warn you, um, today. But, um, you know, ask the Lord for a title. And um, most importantly, how I might apply this to us. Um, I notice we have some visitors this morning, so you're not off the hook. Wherever you go to church, this is applicable for you just as well as it is for us. Um, but as I was reading through it, and, and I, I use the New York American Standard Version, and, and um, twice in there Paul says, make every effort. Make every effort. Your version may say, um, you know, come quickly or be diligent or do your best. Those type of things. So that that's, you know, that's the title. It wasn't hard to come up with. God said, duh. boy." Um, so there it is twice. I repeated myself. And so there you have the title. And um, how do we apply this? This that's that's the interesting part. You know, I think, try, you know, for me to treat, keep it simple as, as, as I can, um, 
You know, the question is, and it goes along with the title, am I making every effort in my church so this particular body of believers is a living illustration and is functioning in perfect harmony as described by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There is a model. Paul, God gives us a model for church. We don't have time today to go back and look at that. And we, you've, you've read it before. You know what it says. But, you know, in the first part of that chapter, you know, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts and how God distributes that, those gifts to the believers. You know, the second part of that chapter is, is if we were to study it, you know, Paul starts talking about the church now, not as individuals, but as a unit. He portrays the church in, in terms of a human body. He gives us this analogy with the human body and describes the body as consistent of many parts, as we well know. But they all work together harmoniously together. Not a single body part can say on its own accord or its own self, I don't need you. Each part is connected to, to and with the body. And, and here again, God, as, as we well know, as you look at the human body, God arranges all the parts exactly where he wants them to be. And like we said, each individual part, each individual part needs each other. But when one suffers, what? We all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. A couple of chapters over in chapter 14, same book, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. So also you... Since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Zealous means fervent, eager. Are we, are, am I, are you fervent and eager for spiritual gifts? And do they overflow? Do they overflow? Do they abound? Why? For the edification of the church. For the building up of the church. To, to empower spiritually the body of believers. That's what our gifts are for. That's why we are here. You know, if one part is not functioning or is missing, it will have an effect on the entire body. You know, everyone is important. Your presence is needed. And, and please help us realize, all of us realize, that God has not bypassed any of us in the distribution of gifts and talents. He has not. We may be sitting on them, but we have them. If you are a believer this morning, you have spiritual gifts. You know, my prayer, and, and please join me in this, and it's been my prayer, um, I'm sure it's probably been some of your prayers, too. You know, that, that the gifts and talents um, here will be fanned into flames for the glory of God. Amen. You know, there, there is such a thing as, as, as spiritual heart failure. You know, you know, and what it comes from? It comes from um, spiritual inactivity. So from the word of God, we have a model for how we are to function. And so we are without excuse. We are without excuse. He has given us gifts. This is how you function. 
And so we are without excuse. Make every effort. That's an interesting phrase. Um, I looked it up. It means rather lengthy stuff, but it means earnestness and diligence with the implication of associated energy and readiness to expand that energy. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Basically, it speaks primarily of an attitude which is associated with or leads to action. You hear those words, earnest, diligence, readiness. It means to manifest zealous persistence to accomplish an objective. Eager, they would hear the word zealous and eager again. And we said, what did we say our objective was? We asked that question of ourselves this morning. Living for the purpose of building up the body of Christ and extending his kingdom through my labors, my time, my money, in accordance to the gifts and opportunities that God has given me. My question for myself, my question for you this morning, how are we doing? That was a question Pastor Kirk would ask about every Sunday. How are we doing? And I know what some of you may be thinking. Um, I have the very same thoughts. And those thoughts go like this. My plate is full. I can't squeeze another thing in. And when I think these thoughts, um, 1 Thessalonians 4.1 comes to mind. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instructions as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do, that you excel still more. I want you to excel still more. I want you to do more. I want you to be good at it. I want you to be proficient. So we're not let off the hook again, right? So after saying all of this, I want us to look at these scriptures that we have before us this morning um, and how they apply to us, because as Paul said, time is of the essence here. We, you know, we were celebrating, getting ready to celebrate a new year, but we're not exactly sure how long that year will last. Will it last a year? We don't know. How long will it last for any of us? Time is of the essence. And I have found three observations in here, or points, whatever you want to call them, and you know, there certainly there are more. Um, this is not an exhaustive list of things here, but I found these, and, and, and as I read through this and studied this, I, 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 I considered these warnings um, or hindrances or you know, things that we need to take heed of um, or, or be aware of that, that's going to slow down, slow our ministry down, or even take us out from being ministry-minded at all, you know. Can we be diligent? Can we, be, can we earnestly be pursuing with readiness a body effective for our Lord? And your bulletin they're listed as effort killers, and I think that's probably a good explanation for them, effort killers. What will keep us from making every effort? First thing is, is verse 10. And I've titled this little point here, Lure, Lure of the World, verse 10. 
For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That word deserted is exactly what you think it is. It means to utterly abandon. It's leaving someone in a dire situation. Demas was what we would call a fair-weather disciple. You know, Paul was probably more disappointed with Demas than he was with any of the others. Um, you know, when Paul, if you read through the New Testament, um, you know, Paul wrote about Demas twice, once in Philemon. Um, Paul included Demas among his fellow workers. And in Colossians, he um, called him part of Paul's team, and he sent his greetings as well, along with Paul's. So the separation wasn't only physical, but it was spiritual. As Paul tells us here that Demas had deserted him and left him in, in the lurch, as we would say. And, and, and Paul gives us the reason, having loved this present world. You know, when Demas left, there was a void. Just like it would be anywhere in any particular ministry, um, when somebody leaves, there is a void. We need each other, as we have already talked about. And, and, and knowing Paul, he wanted, he's writing this to Timothy and... Uh, well, probably the main reason is he wants Timothy to come and fill that void. You know, I believe to step in in Demas's place and carry on the ministry. But the warning for us um, here is, is for which Demas took off. That's our warning. You know, he evidently had a love for this present world that makes Christian ministry impossible. You know, certainly for uh, love for this world can and has crept its way into the church. We know that. Um, it's found its way in. It's made itself at home. It's comfortable. We ask this question. I ask this question myself, and we just shake our heads. But how many pulpits across this nation Sunday after Sunday um, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here again. Timothy 4, 3, 4, Paul writes that a time will come, and I may add has, when they will not endure a sound doctrine, but wanting their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You know, as I've read these, these verses over the years, I, I always, I have always kind of, Put the blame on pastors here, and they, sure, they share, share that blame, but there are other people to blame. Seminaries, our liberal <clears throat> seminaries to stay in time. But another thing there is very important is we in the church. Who's accumulating for themselves teachers? The church, the body of believers. That's what they're doing. It's them, it's our fault. We don't want to hear truths anymore. So every day we must, we must renew our dedication to Christ. You know, we need to make every effort or we will be drawn away by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I read this somewhere and I got it from A.W. Toza, but he said, um, remember this, he who is tempted the most effectively is he who thinks that he isn't being tempted at all. 
You know, I wonder what caused Demas to desert. What, what made him take off? What, what was in Thessalonica? You know, we can speculate here. We don't know. Um, perhaps it was home. He's about had enough of being around Paul. It was hard being around Paul. A lot of dangers. A lot of stress. And so maybe he decided he'd had enough. It's time to go. You know, was it a woman? Had he been offered a better business deal he couldn't pass up? You know, we, we don't know. What we do know is that he left, but he did not leave to follow Jesus. You know, the little decisions you and I make every day are such of infinite importance. You know, Demas did not wake up one day all of a sudden and say, hey, I'm out of here. It was a process. A little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there. One, you know, one trivial indulgence, one compromise here or there. And we do the same and we'll wake up one morning, um, one day. We'll find ourselves part of this um, world that ignores God and denies God. You know, one silly pursuit leads to another until we have strayed far from our original purpose. Read a little funny story. I'll tell it. I was wondering if I, I don't know. I'll tell it. Anyway, um, there was this man who wanted to go bear hunting. And he'd never been bear hunting before, so he had to um, do some research. And he researched and he found out he needed three things. He needed a very large gun, a friend whom he could outrun, <laughs> and a bear hunting dog. And so he was able to um, purchase all three or get all three. And he found a nice large caliber gun. He found a friend with bad knees. And he found a bear certified bear hunting dog. And so off he went. Off they went. It wasn't long before they were in the woods. And lo and behold, they were in a brush there. And sure enough, the dog jumped the bear and the chase was on. And it wasn't long, though, before a deer passed in front of this bear hunting dog. And now our bear hunting dog now becomes a deer hunting dog. And shortly thereafter, a rabbit crossed in front of our bear deer hunting dog. And now he's a bear deer rabbit hunting dog. And you know the story. And finally, at the end of the day, this hunter finds his dog barking down a mouse hole. So the, so, the, so the moral, the whole moral of the story is about staying on track, right? We can be so easily diverted by every little whim and whim that comes, one little, one little thing here or there. We can be so easily diverted. And so I, I encourage us all to find someone who will hold us accountable, who will meddle in our lives. We don't like that. But we need somebody that's willing to meddle in our lives. To give them permission that at any time they observe anything in us that's questionable. Or see us, like this bear hunting dog, getting off track. They have that right to speak into our lives. To confront us and get us on the right trail. Lure of the world. Next, unforgiveness. Verse 16. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. 
You know, I've counted these scriptures several times, and every time I come up with a different, I'm counting the number of people that Paul mentions here, and every time I come up with different numbers. I'm not sure what I'm missing. But anyway, I think there are 16 people here Paul mentions in these 13 verses whom he considers associates of friends. Only one, Alexander the Coppersmith, is called an enemy. And according to this verse, verse 16, when Paul faced his first trial, none of these friends could be found. In the Roman government in those days, there were two trials. They had what we would consider an arraignment, where a prisoner was brought forth, charges were placed against him, and if there was enough evidence to go to court. Then there was a second trial, where actually the trial, the actual trial and sentencing took place. So Paul is speaking of his first trial here. He said, in my first trial, my first offense, none of my friends could be found. I know we look back at verse 11 in the case that Luke is now with me, but that is after the fact. In his time of need, they all left him with no help. They abandoned him at a very crucial point in his life. Paul was left alone, and he sits in that dungeon awaiting death. I'd like to interject something here also that I, I believe is important. Um, knowing the Apostle Paul, I believe it went deeper than just loneliness or abandonment. Um, Paul, I believe, um, was stressing these facts that we have before us today, these scriptures before us today, to say that he is short on help. He is concerned about the ministry. In fact, if you look back at verse 11, he talks of Mark. Send Mark, but he's useful for service. He's useful for ministry for me. Paul's worried there are not enough workers. Not enough help for the spiritual needs of the believers there in Rome. Matthew 9, 37, 38, our very Lord's words. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. That same spirit was in the Apostle Paul that was in the Jesus Christ. May that same spirit be in us. <clears throat> we all understand that Christian ministry can be relationally hard at times for various reasons. Um, a lot of times and sometimes when we're in times of Trials ourselves or sickness or loneliness, um, ones we call friends, um, don't show up. They don't come through for us. They don't do what we think they should do. They may not be found. And we can, like Paul, feel abandoned. But I think we understand that we as fallen and redeemed human beings are going to let each other down. Here again, studying this, I, um, John Piper wrote of his own self. And he said this about verse 16 here. He says, John Piper writes about this verse and says that after over 30 years as a pastor, one of his great sorrows would be there are hundreds in his church who could say, you didn't show up. You didn't come to the hospital. You didn't come to the funeral. You didn't come to the wedding. We weren't there in a crisis. We could say stuff like that, probably, to a family member or to each other. You know, if they really loved me, they wouldn't have forgotten that day or they wouldn't have said that. We could go on. 
But what I want to focus on this morning is you know, all of that is going on. But what is Paul's response? May it not be counted against them. What a wonderful and beautiful response. Paul is asking God not to put their desertion on their spiritual ledger as a deficit. Don't hold it against them. Don't make them account for this. Here again, that same spirit was in Jesus Christ. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. The martyr Stephen, same thing as he's being stoned to death. The question here again for us is, do we have anyone who, who we have marked down as owing us a debt that we want them to pay? So I, I encourage us, let, let, let us be a, be a forgiving body. Let us not be so unforgiving. And, you know, I like Paul, our pastor Paul's definition. He gave us a forgiveness a few weeks ago. He said this. He said, to let someone go without a sense of guilt, obligation, or punishment. To let someone go without a guilt, obligation, or punishment. You know, and here we get back to Paul. You know, it had been real easy for Paul to say, you know, hey, if y'all were real believers, if y'all were real friends, if you were real Christians, um, you would have stood by me. We all know it's possible to care and love someone deeply and let them down. And, and, and unforgiveness, you know, whose strategy is that? Our enemies. That's his playground. It's one of his favorite tools to bring separation. And, and it can start in a very subtle way. And if we let it simmer... Next thing you know, we've got a boiling, overflowing mess. Bitterness creeps in. Bitterness takes root. So on the basis of what Paul does here and what Christ has done for us on the cross, we, we, we need, we need, we have to forgive one another. Just as Christ has forgiven you. We want to be able to enjoy fellowship with one another, but unforgiveness takes that joy away. Before we go on to the next point, I do want to bring up what I may call a sub-point here. But in verse 17, you know, know, we looked at verse 16 and and everybody has left Paul. But in verse 17, you know, Paul has said, you know, uh, even though everybody has left me at my trial, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That's the paraphrase of it. And here again, Paul could be, you know, hey, I got all these fickle and failing friends. I'm so okay. It's just me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. I don't need you. Um, and it's certainly true that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. You can write that down. But Paul doesn't do that here again. You know, twice he's written to Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. He wants and needs Timothy's presence. He longs for it. And this is familiar writing throughout any of his books in the New Testament. How many times does Paul write, mention the love of the brethren, longing for fellowship over and over again? I quote from John Piper. 
When Christ died so that you could love him supremely and forever, he did not nullify the fellowship of believers. He created it. Christ always intended that your friendship with him would be the heartbeat of your friendship with others. His presence would be the central joy of Christian friendship. Christ did not die to create isolated, worshiping individuals. End quote. Let us forgive one another and long for that type of fellowship. Um, and there's a reason. Um, I almost wanted to title this thing a so that, because there's so many so that's in Scripture. How many so that's do we have? There's always a reason. Um, and Paul says it here. He, he wanted all this to go on so that the proclamation might be fully accomplished. And what is he saying? If you're, not, if you're not helping me, if you're not with me, something may go lacking. He wanted all the Gentiles to hear. All of the Gentiles. Fully. Fully accomplished. And by the way, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Only Jesus Christ can do that for you. Only he can rescue you. To him, yes, be the glory forever and ever. I'm going back up now to the final point, neglecting the word. And that's found in verse 13. Like I said, this is a choppy kind of a message here and it's a choppy point of scripture here. Um, but I want to back up to verse 13. Neglecting the word. An effort killer would be neglecting the word. Paul writes here, when you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Be spiritually nourished. Is it not natural to assume that the apostle desired above all else to spend his few remaining days, weeks, whatever he had left for him, meditating upon the Word of God? Is there anything that he could accomplish spiritually in his life by reading and studying the Word of God? Apparently so. Now that he's at death's door... Why? Why bother? He, he did. Because he's asking for the books and the parchments. We, we don't know exactly what these books and the parchment actually are. Um, maybe some of his writings, maybe some of his notes. Scholars, scholars suggest that part of this material is the writings of the Old Testament. You know, but whatever they were, you know, here he is in his last days wanting to be reading and writing and contemplating the things of God. You know, the primary point here for us is he's not finished yet and neither should we. He wasn't finished reading, he wasn't finished writing, and he wasn't finished studying. Paul still wanted every moment that it was given him to be spiritually nourished. Should we be any different? Job 23.12 I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. 
I don't know if many of you know E.B. Hill. E.B. Hill was a pastor um, in Los Angeles, California for the Mount Zion Baptist Church for over 40 years. Um, he suffered from diabetes the last six, seven, eight years. He died in 03. The last six, seven, eight years, he actually couldn't stand. He preached sitting down. But um, E.B. E. B. Hill, Pastor Hill, came from abject poverty. In fact, the woman he called Mama was not his mother. Um, as a child, he was given to another woman to raise because his mother was too poor to raise him. And so he lived in this poverty, and he talked about it during his life that this, this lady he called Mama took him to church, and they, they couldn't afford a Bible. And what he would do was, after services each Sunday, he would crawl under the pews and find pages that dropped out of the Bible, and that was his Bible. And he, he admitted, he said he had more maps than anything, but he... <laughs> what, what few pages of Scripture he had, he knew by heart. He said he would... <laughs> I said, I won't do this. He said he would clutch him to his heart as a little boy. At night. <laughs> and he would wake up in the morning still clutching them. And he would read them. And when he became a teenager, his aunt finally bought him a Bible. And he talked of the joy. Of having a Bible of his own. And 60 years later, he was preaching from that Bible at that church. I think of myself and how many Bibles I have on my shelf and how many Bibles we have. Do we love the Word of God that much? You know, reading and studying and meditating on the Word of God is how He speaks to us. Here again, John Piper, just off the cuff here, just, he says, you ever want to hear God speak? Read His Bible out loud. That's how He speaks. You know, it's how He makes Himself known to us. It's how our souls are strengthened. It's how we gain understanding. It's how we worship God. It's how the worship of God is fanned in the flames. We want to exalt God. Read his word, then you will have reason to exalt God. It's how we gain peace with God. It's how, how do I know the will of God? I read his word. How do I know the mind of God? I read his word. He speaks clearly. I may not like it, but he speaks clearly. And also with this, do not forget our, our spiritual teachers, our Christian authors. They have such value to us. I tell myself and I tell you, don't ever think we've come or reached the end of our learning about the things of God. There's always plenty of material left to strive for. Don't ever think we can do without it daily. 
ran across a story by William Tyndale. He was the man that translated our Bibles that we have today before us in English. And for those efforts, he was burned and strangled at 1536. But he wrote these words from his prison cell in Brussels. A lot like Paul. He says, I beg you, your lordship, that if I am to remain here through the winter, you will request the commissary to have the kindness to send me from the goods of mine, which he has, a warmer coat also, but which I have is very thin, a piece of cloth, too, to patch my leggings. But most of all, I beg and beseech your clemency to be urgent with the commissary that he will kindly permit me to have my Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and the Hebrew dictionary that I may pass the time in study. You know, even to our last days, let us be students of the Word of God. Paul was. It's for our edification. It's for the building up spiritually of us. You know, we, we know God's word. It's inspired by him. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God is adequately equipped. We want to be able to speak truth into each other's lives. We are going to have to have the word of God implanted in us and before us. You know, I want us to be that so that church, um, to keep striving to be a so that church. You know, that through us, or anybody, believers, as far as that goes, the proclamation might be fully accomplished. No matter what the Alexander, the coppersmiths are doing, we have plenty of enemies outside. Let's don't make enemies inside. You know, we are all ministers to each other and to unbelievers. That you know. Christian living together is for our good and for the good of others. And we need each other. As we talked about earlier, we need each other in order for us to do our best, for us to make every effort to be a body effective for our Lord Jesus Christ. Here again, Scripture, a challenge for us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that... Why? You will not grow weary and lose heart. You will not grow weary and lose heart. One last word and I'm done. Here again, I picked this up from Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. He wrote in there about C.S. Lewis. We are all familiar, most of us, with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a part of a famous circle of friends called the Inklings. 
And in the little circle of friends, there were people like J.R.R. Tolkien, who you know, wrote Lord of the Rings, and another man by the name of British author, who was Charles Williams. And he actually died unexpectedly in World War II. In his book, The Four Lives, Lewis wrote a striking meditation on Williams' death in an essay he titled Friendship, and it goes, goes like this. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles Williams is dead, I shall never see Ronald Tolkien's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself than that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the multitude of the blessed, which no one can number, increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why Seraphim and Isaiah's vision are crying, Holy, 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 to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. And like all good C.S. Lewis writings, for me, I need an interpretation. And Tim, <laughs> Tim Keller gives that interpretation. He quotes this. He says, Lewis is saying it took a community to know an individual. How much more would this be true of Jesus Christ? Christians commonly say they want to get to know Jesus better. You will never be able to do that by yourself. You must be deeply involved in the church, in the Christian community, with strong relationships of love and accountability. Only if you're part of a community of believers seeking to resemble, serve, and love Jesus will you ever get to know him and grow into his likeness. And as Paul would say, Bless the preaching of God's word. Amen. Amen.